Good morning. Please rise for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the loneliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lonely. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to our home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you to you, Michael, for reading our lesson this morning and to all of you for your presence. Um, what a remarkable anthem we've heard. Gordon, thank you so much. And Mario, for beautiful music that has strengthened our faith and warmed our hearts. To Allison, thank you for your prayer. To Mason, to all of our musicians, and especially to those of you at home who are joining us today. It is a special privilege to be in your home and to share with you the word of Christ this day on the fourth Sunday of Advent. The text that we've heard this morning is one of the high watermarks of sacred literature. In fact, historians and scholars, students of the word, refer to this particular passage as the Magnificat. It is so named for the first word in the Latin text, which essentially Magnificat means to enlarge to increase, to extol, or to expand. And by the way, this is the goal of human existence. To magnify the name of the Lord in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we serve. The Magnificat. This particular piece, this passage in context, is actually Mary's response to Elizabeth's blessing of the holy child that she's carrying. And we read that text last week. We call it the visitation scene. And we recall how the child in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy at the very sound of Mary's greeting. And then Elizabeth, who was likely Mary's old aunt, full of the Holy Spirit, prophesied over Mary, saying, blessed are you among all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And suddenly... In the context of this visit, Mary just bursts into song. This refrain is peculiar to Luke's narrative. You don't find it in the other three gospel accounts. Luke, as you know, is not just interested in the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. He's interested in the meaning of these events. And you know as well as I do that there are some occasions, there are some experiences that are so mystical, that are so 
transcendent that you need more than prose to convey it. You need poetry. And so to make sure that we grasp the scale of what's happening in Mary's encounter, Luke gives us an insider look into the music of Mary's soul. Listen to it again, verse 46. My soul doth magnify the Lord, for my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Now, I don't know, but maybe Mary memorized this lyric as a child, or maybe she actually composed it on the fly, right there on the spot. Whatever the case, and we don't know for sure, there are those moments in all of our lives where something happens that is so beyond us, that is so sublime, that is so transcendent and life-changing that you cannot explain it. You can only sing it. The good news of the gospel during this season is, in a sense, I think, music to our ears. Well, I know it is for me and perhaps for you just to be in this place and to hear in the bleak midwinter to sing the carols, it is music to our ears. Now, I think that Mary, if she was alive today, would have fit very well in Music City. I mean, when you think about it, what better place for Mary to live than in David's son county? Have you ever thought about that? What a place to live for a musician, David's son county. And oh, by the way, Mary's not the only singer songwriter in the Bible. You remember others, Miriam, anybody remember Miriam? Sister of Moses and Aaron, daughter of Jochebed. You remember her story. In the book of Exodus, the Hebrew children left Egypt in a hurry after Passover. They had to pack light, and the only thing Miriam took with her was a change of clothes, some unleavened bread, and a tambourine. And after God delivered them through the Red Sea, as the Egyptian oppressors were being swept away by the current, it was Miriam who took out her timbrel, her tambourine and composed a song. She started singing. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. Music. There are others in the Bible. How about Hannah? You remember Hannah? A barren woman who came every night to Shiloh, to the tabernacle, to weep and to pray at the altar In fact, when Eli saw her, old brother Eli was the priest in that day. He thought she was intoxicated and tried to point her to the AA group. And she explained that her heart was heavy and broken. She was praying for a child. And old brother Eli got on his knees with her at the altar and appealed to God. And would you believe it? She conceived and bore a son whose name was Samuel. And 1 Samuel chapter 2 says that this woman, this grieving woman was so overwhelmed with joy that she wrote a song. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in God, my Savior. Who is like the Lord? There is no one. For he raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Let's, Let's face it. 
There are some things that are so spectacular, that are so mystical and magical, you need music. Music is the language of the soul, so it said. Music is the soul also of language. There are other songwriters, Deborah, David, of course, even Moses and Paul were composers. I remember something the Danish writer in the 19th century, Hans Christian Andersen said, where words fail, music speaks. And it spoke to us this morning. Songs and refrains we see right in the middle of our Bible, the Hebrew hymn book, there it is, 150 songs, refrains, choruses that that chant the redemptive work of God in and for his people. It is absolutely amazing the power of music to sustain our faith. St. Francis of Assisi, you remember, was a great singer. And he was once asked by one of his followers, Francis, why are you always singing? Whatever you're doing, washing dishes, planting seeds, you're always singing. And he replied by saying, Brother Leo, I sing in order to keep the faith. Leonard Bernstein, the great American composer, said it like this, music can name the unnameable and communicate the unknowable. I don't know if you feel this way, but I've really missed music. (laughs) I've missed this choir, Gordon. I've missed the Sunshine Choir. I've missed the Children's Choir. I have missed the music of Advent. It feels sometimes as though Advent and Christmas is incomplete without the cantata, without the children, the youth, and the narthex. And we've we've not been able, because of COVID, to have a choir for a while. But the worship and arts team of this church several weeks ago put together several ensembles at different times in the chapel, several groups, orchestration, children, youth, and adults. And you know what they did? They recorded the festival of carols for us so that we can experience the poetry of Christmas. And it's going to be premiered online today at three o'clock as a blessing to God and as a strength to us music. There's a couple of things I want to note about Mary's song, and please forgive me because I know you can't really exegete poetry. You can't really give commentary too much on music, but I want you to note a couple of things in the Magnificat, in Mary's song that I think represent sort of the Bible in miniature. It is composed, Mary's poem is composed of both personal joy and corporate joy, communal joy. Verse 48 gives the basis for her music. Here it is again. God has looked, she said, with favor on the lowliness of his servant. I love the old King James that says, he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. I was looking over, researching that word for lowliness this week in the Greek. It's not just about a feeling of humility. It's not just a mental attitude, although it is that. It's an objective condition, lowliness. What you need to know about Mary is she had no status. She had no potential. She had no standing. 
She had no station or rank in the community. She wasn't on the synagogue council. She wasn't even president of the youth. She was dirt poor, engaged to a blue collar minimum wage carpenter in a hick town in Northern Israel. And God picked her, lowly. It is absolutely bizarre the people that God chooses to do his work. I've noticed, and, and we are among the brightest and best in Williamson County, but I've noticed that God doesn't always call the brightest and best. God doesn't always call the rich and the famous. God doesn't always call the high and the mighty because oftentimes we're too full of ourselves to bother with God. We have more important things to do. Lowly. It reminds me, the Magnificat reminds me a little bit of the Apostle Paul's words to some of the big-headed Corinthians. And you'll excuse me for that term, but it's the best one I know for people who are, who are sort of too into themselves. We used to say they have the big head. You know what I'm talking about. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 and following to those who are a little lofty-minded. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. For not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God has intentionally chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has called the weak to shame the strong. God chooses, here it is, the lowly and the despised things. Indeed, God chooses the things that are not to reduce to nothing the things that are so that no one may ever boast before the Lord. I can imagine that God has a pretty hard time sometimes getting through to the uppity folk, to people like me, maybe like you, who are a little too self-righteous sometimes for our own good, people who get a little too high and mighty, haughty and tawdy, don't seem to think that we actually need a savior at all. I remember something Bishop Desmond Tutu said. He was a visiting professor at the seminary I attended, Emory University in Atlanta. He spoke of arrogance and he said these words, arrogance actually comes from insecurity. And in the end, this feeling that we are bigger than others is really the flip side of the feeling that we are smaller than others. It's interesting when you explore the gospels, when you walk with Jesus, you see a rabbi who is a little less concerned about the up and coming and a little more concerned about the down and out. He reveals himself to the lowly. This is personal for Mary. Now, some of you remember, if you remember your grandparents, great-grandparents, I can remember at family reunions and sometimes at Christmas time, our, our grandparents would talk about their humble origin stories. They used to love to talk about it, how it was in the day. I used to hear grandparents talk about how tough it was, and it was back in the day. They'd try sometimes to one-up each other, however. One would say something like, I, I used to have to walk six miles a day to school, and another would say, well, you had school, you were lucky, we just had to walk. With, to nowhere in particular, without shoes, in the snow and rain. And we all love these rags to riches story. 
But Mary's story, the gospel story, is a riches to rags story. This is a story about a God who is downwardly mobile, who exalts the lowly. And let's face it, you can't get any lower than a pregnant teenager, an unwed mother who's homeless and gives birth in a cow stall. That, friend, is about as low as you can go and still be above the ground. When you read through the scripture, you discover that it is true. God has friends in low places. He has remembered the lowliness of his servant. It's personal for Mary. But then I want you to notice that this poem, the music, moves from personal to corporate, indeed, to global. Listen to it again. God shows mercy to all who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. Listen, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty away. It sounds so radical. In fact, it sounds revolutionary. It's like, it's like the status quo is about to be reversed. It's like God is blessing the unblessed or as Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel once said in his song, blessed, blessed are the sat upon, the spat upon and the ratted on. It's no wonder when you read the Magnificat that King Herod would be worried by the birth of this new king. You can't have two kings. You can't have two kingdoms. You remember Isaiah 9? predicted that the newborn king, this prince of peace, this mighty God born in a stall would have the government on his shoulders. But with Jesus, it was more like the government was on his back. You, you can't have a reversal. I noticed in my study this week that there's a correlation between Luke 1, the Magnificat, and Luke 6, the preaching of Jesus. I noticed the correlation, the message that Mary's boy would one day preach on a plane in Luke's gospel is very similar to the poem that his mother wrote in Luke 1. Listen to Luke 6. This is Jesus preaching. Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you if you're hungry now, you're going to be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, you're going to laugh. Blessed are you even when people hate you and despise you and exclude you on my account. You can rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. You see the correlation? Mary's sonnet became Jesus's sermon. Mary's poetry became Jesus's platform. Her lyric became his lifestyle and her music became his message. 
And it's yours too. It's ours too. The call of Advent is to get low because love comes down at Christmas. And what comes down must go up. He, she who humbles himself, you'll be exalted. It's a reversal. There's a new king. Let me finish with this story. Some of you read this week that Charlie Pride died. I think it was a week ago yesterday. He had COVID. He was 86 years of age. Born in Sledge, Mississippi. Did you know there was such a place? Sledge, Mississippi, in the northwest corner of the state, not far from Memphis. He was the eighth of 11 children born to a sharecropper in Mississippi. He had one dream, and that was to play baseball. He had a great arm, a great curveball. He played in the Negro League as a young man, and then in the minors, He went to New York, Casey Stingle had no place for him, but they found out he could sing. And so he would entertain before and after the games for 10 bucks a night. He never made it in the majors. And finally he gave up on his dream at 30 years of age and he decided to come to Nashville. Red Foley and Chet Atkins met him in Music City and it was love at first sound. Of course, the obvious concern that they all had was that this man was black in a white industry, but in 1967, he became the second black man to perform at the Grand Ole Opry at the Ryman Auditorium, and he made an album. In fact, he made 47 of them, and he did okay. 70 million records, 52 top 10 songs, 29 number one hits, Kiss an Angel Good Morning, not exactly the kind of song that would be in our hymn book, but there it is. And this man's music and faith and spirit just slowly but surely began to take root and change hearts and minds. He was singing in Alabama in a club one night in the late 60s. It was a terrible time in the South. And after the performance, he said a good old boy approached him, a big man, and said, Mr. Pride, I like your songs. And I want you to know I don't believe everything my parents taught me. And Charlie shook his hand and kept right on singing. The music did what words could not do. It's a reversal. That's what happens when you sing a new song. In a new kingdom, there's a new life. And when a sharecropper's son with a heart full of joy and poetry can sing like that, God does the rest. And God's still doing it. It's our lineage. This is our family tree. The music of Mary is the message of Jesus and the anthem of the church 
Friends, I'm telling you, we've got a song to sing and it not only changes those who hear it, it transforms those who sing it. So that your life, my life, might actually become a poem, a magnificat, a praise song that magnifies the name that is above every name to the glory of God. May it be so in you, in me, in us, for Christ's sake. Amen.